Hi, this is Deb, host of Deb's Data Dojo and part of the Calling All Beings podcast network. Today, I'm happy to say that I'll be speaking to Preston Dennett. Preston Dennett has been studying the phenomenon since 1986. He has interviewed numerous experiencers and written 28 books and numerous articles. Many of his books are bestsellers on Amazon. He is a MUFON investigator, paranormal researcher, and a ghost hunter. DJ has joined me today as well, and he is the host of Calling All Beings, a yoga instructor and an empath. Hi, DJ. Oh, oh I, I love it. I'm, I'm for Clemp. How are you, Deb? I'm glad to be here always. Okay. Are you ready to welcome Preston? Party people, put them hands together for Mr. Preston Did It! Yeah! <laughs> well, welcome to the show, Joe. <laughs> Thanks very much. Happy to be here. Hi, DJ. Hi, Deb. Good to Hello. meet you. <laughs> so the first thing I wanted to ask you in doing my research of you, because I've I've told people sometimes I have to research the researcher. Is there is there something you can tell us about yourself? Like I would like to know more about you, other than doing all this research that you do, the paranormal research. What are your interests? I just want to know about you a little bit. <laughs> Hey, that's awesome. Um, well, I love science fiction. It's kind of my first introduction to all of this, uh, but found out UFOs were real. So I thought, hey, real aliens, imaginary aliens. There's no choice here. Okay. Uh, I am the fifth of six children. So I've got a pretty big family. I wow. live here in Southern California. Moved here in 19... 19- 71 with my family. We actually all packed up, left Illinois in a giant camper and lived for three months in a camper touring the United States, going to all the national parks. We visited pretty much every state. So that was quite an experience and was awesome because they took me out of school. Even though I was, what, let me see, I was six years old. (laughs) I remember it. It was, yeah. Is that one of the reasons you have books from each state coming out? Or is it because <laughs> you're, I've noticed that you're doing each state. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think it's like six or seven. I started with California. I thought, what's the next one I want to do? What state is really influential? But well, New York. Because uh, that's, <laughs> you know, that's where the whole abduction movement really started with you know, Bud Hopkins and Whitley Strieber. Of course, it's got the Hudson Valley wave and the New York blackout. And it's hugely influential in this field. And I just started sort of picking states that I thought were, had something unique to contribute. And I'd love to do all 50 states. <laughs> I would. It should only take me 100 years. So God willing. <laughs> you and never you know. Then you're going to have to do some things like Puerto Rico also. You're just going to have to, you know. So once you expand from the states. <laughs> yeah, Puerto Rico. Man, oh, man. For the size of that area, it is has so many reports. You know, I, I studied UFO healing accounts. And uh, U.S. has the most. I think uh, 
England and Russia and Canada, and then Puerto Rico, which is actually wow. sort of part of the U.S. But yeah, it, yeah. it definitely is. They just don't have taxes, <laughs> which is great. So uh, <laughs> uh, I was going to say, though, one thing that you proved when you said that it is memorable, it happened when you were six. That trip is memorable. And I like to tell people, I was like, the experience, and I didn't start traveling until probably I was in the Air Force. I mean, like my parents didn't really do a lot of traveling with us, but um, that there's nothing you can buy that will replace those memories that you still have today of you traveling around the States in a motorhome or a caravan of some sort with your parents. Those are invaluable experiences that you'll never forget. Yeah, and it really helped me when I started interviewing witnesses who were like, you know, I was six years old when I had my first encounter. I'm like, yeah, you know, six, a six-year-old may sound like an unreliable witness, but nope, <laughs> they are absolutely sponges. They observe very carefully, especially if it's anything out of the ordinary. And uh, as a general rule, people who have encounters, you know, it starts at around that age. So it was really interesting to me to sort of look back at my own experiences and know here are the people describing you know their six-year-old experiences yeah and what's interesting is anything that happens that's a little bit more significant at that age um it's like our first memory and it really stands out so i imagine they may remember it more vividly than other things at that time yeah one lady i interviewed laura was her name she says i have three early memories Two animals making love, two dogs getting in a fight, and this major UFO experience where she you know, saw UFOs, uh, one saucer come swooping down and hover over telephone wires, sort of sucking the electricity out of it, which they do, as you may know. I've heard I may, that might have been you that I heard that from when you were on UCR. I would never I'd never heard that before. That's very interesting. Yep. It's absolutely a fairly consistent type of ufo behavior where they're following over telephone wires and in fact i it did interview one gentleman who was inside a ufo when they did that and i've heard heard many people describing it from the outside but to have someone inside a craft and they're doing that he said you could feel the electricity it made his teeth rattle this can explain yeah. some of the anomalous uh power bills because like you're all of a sudden well i got a, it's 50 dollars higher this month I know we didn't use the electricity more. They just averaged it out and charged all of us. That's probably what happened. Yeah, probably stealing our cable, too. Well, I do. <laughs> I, do. I, I do have excessively high electricity bills now that you mention it. <laughs> so so, so um, I'm going to just start knocking out some of the questions I have for you. One of them, and I don't know if you've ever explained this, is about the artwork that you have that unfortunately people who are listening are not going to be able to see. Do you draw the artwork? Do people you interview do the artwork? Where does the artwork come from? Uh, mostly me. Um, you know, I initially, you know, my sister-in-law is a fantastic artist. I've worked with her from the beginning. And she's done the covers for most of my books and, you know, a lot of the thumbnails for some of my YouTube videos. But she got really busy. And, uh, you know, I'm putting out a lot of uh, videos on YouTube, one per week. Wow. And, uh, you know, the witnesses, I love it when they can draw something, but uh, that's not always feasible either. 
And uh, I don't know, I just started feeling the impulse to draw. And, you know, hanging around my sister-in-law, Kisara, for so long, I started to pick up on how she was doing it. I would watch her draw. I'm like, huh, I think I might be able to do that. And uh, slowly getting, a, a, you know, I'm by no means as good as she is, but I'm slowly getting a little bit better <laughs> and having all kinds of fun. So, yeah, um, I am putting, doing a lot of artwork and, you know, interviewing people and uh, producing sketches based on their interviews. But, uh, yeah, there's yeah, a, there's, I'm sorry. There, I was just going to say there's a lot of talk about how art connects to the phenomenon. Some people feel like they're almost going into another dimension when they create art, or it's like almost like a download sometimes. So I, I, I guess I was curious because you have so many different pieces and some of them are haunting. Yeah, yeah, I've gotten some great feedback. And I've watched my sister-in-law, you know, sit down with a, a contactee. And she works very much like a police sketch artist. You know, how big is the nose? You know, the eyes, do they wrap around the head, so forth. And she's finishing it and getting closer and closer. And you hear the witness gasping here and there. And then suddenly they start crying. And it's amazing to watch that sort of watch it hit them real hard when they see their own encounter brought to life. And yeah, my sister-in-law, absolutely, she's very intuitive and connects to people and connects to the energy of it all. And uh, I think it's a really powerful tool when you're doing something like that to be able to sort of be empathically and intuitively connect to the witness. Preston, if, if I may, what is your connection with the phenomenon? What is your, how do you, how do you connect with it? What do you find in your connection with the phenomenon? Yeah, I came into this field skeptic, an absolute unbeliever um, until November 17, 1986, when I heard a report on the news about a sighting by a pilot over Alaska. It's a story I've told many times, uh, but it interested me. I thought this poor deluded pilot, what an idiot. But wait, my brother saw one. And I remember years earlier, he had come running into the house. And so I'm like, Mark, who's, by the way, married to my sister-in-law, Kisara. I'm like, what did you see? And so he describes this incredible close-up sighting of a metallic disc he had with his two friends. And uh, so that broke the ice for me. And I started asking other people. I found out my... Uh, other sister-in-law had had a sighting, uh, also an encounter with Grays. Uh, Kisara, my, who's married to my brother Mark, was visited by short little blue beings when she was a little girl. So it's in my family. And I started. I found out I had friends who had missing time even. And people at work, you know, abducted <laughs> this really hit home for me. I started buying books on this. I'm like, what? I couldn't let it go. I'm kept thinking, what is wrong with me? Why am I so obsessed? And of course, I started scouring my past, looking for, you know, maybe I've got a connection to this somehow. And I can't really point to anything that's blatantly, you know, a contact experience, other than one possible sort of confusion about missing lunch one one time when I was about nine years old and somehow fell asleep. And it's just impossible. That could not happen. 
you know, with six kids in their family, you don't miss lunch. <laughs> you just don't. So there was yeah. that. <laughs> and well, you know, I just have to comment that I have heard you also talk about the poll that was done where they say about one in 50 people could have been abducted. And, you know, I've, I've mentioned this many times. DJ is probably tired of me mentioning it, that Bigelow paid for that. <laughs> like he paid for that poll. And you is, have no, nope. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So um, it occurs to me that there's a possibility there's a number of people who have that experience and don't remember. Um, there's a number of people that have strange experiences that are parallel. Um, for instance, sleep paralysis, sleepwalking, dreams of flying that are very vivid. Um, do you find yeah. that to be the case that there's a possibility that there's more people than they realize that that might be something that you connect to? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. When I heard that, you know, Actually, there's a quote by D. Allen Hynek, one in 40 people have had an onboard experience. Wow. Which, which got me to ask everyone, and I ended up writing, you know, surveying all the major researchers and writing an article for the MUFON Journal called One in 40, the UFO Epidemic, which preceded the Roper poll by about a year. In fact, Walt Andrus wrote me a letter like, wow, you, you sort of pinpointed the number there. I'm like, well, you know, it wasn't me. It was, you know, the great J. Allen Hynek. Uh, but yeah, it's far more common. It's in my family. And I did, you know, shortly after I started investigating, start seeing UFOs. And it was 1990, pretty sure it was 92, late July, when this orb dropped down in front of my car one evening. And it was very close, you know, a foot away, went in front of my windshield back and forth and darted up. And that's all I remember. Scared? No, not in the least. Um, I'm, I have, for whatever reason, <laughs> I am running towards these UFOs, not away. I don't, and I don't think, you know, when I first started researching, I'm like, oh, this could not be good. You know, people are being abducted, kidnapped against their will. They're being examined by bug-like aliens who have no feelings. And horrific experiments, which turned out not really to be entirely true. I think if we take an objective look at it, I don't feel like this is a nefarious phenomenon at all. It's just an enormous amount of fear surrounding it. Yes. Are you not open to, I'm sorry, Deb, are you not open to that there may be different intelligences with different intent? Of so course. Different. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a wide, wide universe. <laughs> and uh, I would, and if you look at UFO behavior, it falls under the same umbrella as human behavior, largely. Uh, I mean, they're doing the same things we would do, I think, if we were to initiate contact. Uh, but I, what I don't find really at all is people who are being taken on board and, quote, tortured or subjected right. to sadistic evil behavior where the ETs are trying to hurt them, trying to scare them. The worst I get is these very scary and occasionally painful examinations. And people do have PTSD and nightmares, mm -hmm. but some who don't... Who, People can have the same exact experience right down to the last detail and come away with completely different interpretations. Some are like, oh, this was horrific. They're demonic. I hate them. I wish they'd just go away. And the other's like, well, it didn't scare me the least. You know, I rather enjoyed it. And people who don't have a strong fear reaction usually have a better time of it and are given information, a tour of the craft and so forth. 
Right. So one one example of, of that that I find rather interesting is Travis Walton. Apparently, you know, when you see fire in the sky, he looks terrified. It's a horrific experience. But now when people are talking to him, he says that he thinks they were trying to fix something that happened to him that was accidental. His, yep. his tune on the whole situation has changed. And I've noticed a lot of people change their tune over time as it's it's almost like they accept what was going on in a different way they understand that perhaps these beings don't show emotion like we do perhaps you know they're not they're not feeling empathically anyway because they're aliens you know that's what they're saying um and that perhaps you know they're, they're simply just curious and examining us and researching us yeah, I've absolutely noticed that pattern. People will start out like, this is terrible. I hate this. It's nightmares. It's PTSD. It's like locks on the door, sleeping with the lights on. It's difficult. But as it continues and they get over their fear, they turn 180 degrees around and start getting all kinds of really interesting benefits, healings. They're shown the engine room, told all the crap works. They're given messages of all kinds. And... Uh, yeah, I think there's absolutely a sort of a, a journey people take. And some people sort of stop there at the beginning and like, you know what? I don't want to deal with this. I don't like this. I'm just going to shelve this and not think about it. And that's fine. And it's true that some people do have negative experiences. I'm not going to deny that. I mean, people have suffered medically. Uh, some people have suffered emotionally. Uh, but... By and large, generally speaking, I think this is good news for humanity, for you know all of us. And I think the ETs are not being portrayed uh, accurately. They are emotional. And the more I talk to people, they will express this. I think part of the problem is we as human beings really read emotions largely on a surface level by facial expressions and body language. Whereas the ETs don't generally have a whole lot of that and are very instead telepathic and empathic. And when a person is in fear and screaming, they're not connecting to these ETs. Whereas once they get over that, uh, I mean, the reason I say that is because this is the pattern I see. And I'm super excited about my next book, if I may, where I've interviewed this lady by the name of Dolly who's a fully awake contactee. Have you heard of Jim Sparks? He's fairly well known in this field. Yes, he's um, an experiencer. He was the contractor guy or something, right? Yeah, yeah. He's very well known for not having to go under hypnosis and recalls his experiences. Uh, he's someone I would compare Dolly to. She's had more extensive experiences than anyone I've ever read about or interviewed. And she's like, no, these, these guys are very emotional. They're very advanced spiritually. They're very concerned about humanity, which was kind of the conclusion I came to. But I got this story from bits and pieces from you know witnesses who are looking through this phenomena, at this phenomena, through the lens of fear and having a real hard time with it and finally coming to grips with it. But she came awake, I, I guess I would use the term, at age 14. 
and insists that these guys are here to help us, guide us, teach us, warn us. And that's exactly what I see. And I'd say that that's echoed by the research of many researchers like Barbara Lamb, uh, John Mack, Edith Fiore, uh, even Bud Hopkins. Yeah. So what I was thinking about when you were talking about that is that when we talk about connecting to um, these entities, I have a lot of words for them. It's hard. For, <laughs> it's hard for me to find the right language. Sometimes people like to use the term others, which is more encompassing. Um, sometimes I, I jokingly call them visitors that have lived here for thousands of years, you know, <laughs> like, so, but anywho, <laughs> but anywho so um, one thing we talk about is just like really calming when we try to do it ourselves, when we're trying to have like, you know, people call it C5 or whatever, just really calming and getting the vibration and utilizing parts of our brain, you know, that Gary Nolan have kind of, kind of uh, has hinted at and things like that and turning ourselves into basically an antenna. So I could see where we're, if we're in a different state where we're really anxious, really upset, that's not going to happen. If we're, if they're trying to use us as, as an antenna to communicate and we're flipping out, <laughs> yeah, it's obviously not the right vibration. So that's what I was thinking when you said that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think you're right on with that. Remember, their communication is almost exclusively telepathic. And uh, the first thing they always say is, don't be afraid. We're not here to hurt you. You will not be harmed. Have no fear. That doesn't sound like, you know, what, and, you know, when someone's like, say, taken against their will by someone on earth, <laughs> kidnapped, it doesn't end well. Almost never does it end well. But here, when people are taken by these ETs, uh, they're healed. I've got 300 cases plus. They are taken on an incredible adventure. Over and over again, people are taught how to fly these craft. I hear that all the time. This is not being portrayed accurately in the media, which is very fear-based and loves a lurid, scary story. Uh, that's not exactly what's going on here. Uh, but yeah, it's all about consciousness. I think when you're reaching out to contact these guys, consciousness plays a big role. Your own beliefs can play a big role. And I'm a big believer. I'm going to call them ETs. <laughs> I am. I think that's the... Seems so obvious to me that that's what they are. It's such a logical theory. It's almost impossible to walk away from. I mean, there's a lot of different types of beings, right? Some could be interdimensional. Maybe some are time travelers. Maybe not all of these are ETs as we would think of it. Jinns or, you know, angelic spirits or what have you. But if you look at the evidence in its totality, um, it is hard to walk away from the ET. I hate to even call it a theory. Because what are we? You know, if we're not beings on a planet, we know that what we are, at least <laughs> we think we do. We're not some phenomenon, you know, that puts on different masks. We are biological beings living on a planet. And that's what I think ETs are. And I think the real clincher to that real quick is the crash retrieval phenomena. If we have these saucers, if we have these bodies, I mean, all bets are off. Our government knows what this is. 
Mm-hmm. I think we do. Well, what? Okay. I'm. I mean, you could have something and not know what it, where, it, what it is, or where it's from. I think that's possible. Yeah. Well, I mean, Both it's clear they're craft, right? Sure. I mean, they've got portholes. Sure. They sure look like our cars. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but I'm saying as far as where it comes from, whether I'm sorry, Deb. Deb's got her hand up. I'm sorry. I just I'm gesturing and people can't see that. But I'm my my thing about the craft is and this is something that I just have to put out there again and again because I think this is important. We see them as particular objects most of the time, but realistically their craft are so different from what we understand craft to be, and they change shapes and they change drastically sometimes. And then they emit other craft. So, like, sometimes I'm, like, starting to back off from the idea of these of these craft and these shapes and trying to, to get people to realize, yes, some of them probably are a certain shape for a certain period of time. But all bets are off that they're going to stay that shape and that they're even going to um, continue on whatever that particular course is that they're on. Um, because more and more evidence uh, indicates to me that maybe the way they travel changes their shape. I mean, you know, you read about how like their sizes change and everything um, that seems to be travel related. You know, um, our perception and looking at them changes the shape. Um, different experiencers see it differently at the same time. Um, even the color is not correct because sometimes people see like the Tic Tac is like orange to their eyes, but when they take a picture, it's white. So it's really, it's, you know, I understand that we, we want to categorize them by shapes and sh- certainly they, they look like that to us for a portion of time, but I, I'm moving away from the idea of just thinking of them as craft like ours. <laughs> they're not. <laughs> yeah, they're, uh, I, I mean, I can't disagree with that. <laughs> People, I mean, over and over again, people will describe like a 10, 20 foot craft and they're taken inside and it's hundreds of feet across. I mean, it's much larger. And yeah, they can change shape. I interviewed one lady. Her son has an apparent implant. She sent me the x-rays. It's under his tooth. And it's a quite involved story, but she was pulled on board a craft at one point and she's looking around. There was a couch and it looked like a doctor's office. It was set up to look like her living room. And so I think they have the ability to do that. Uh, I think these are very advanced beings that we're dealing. I think that's the one thing most people will agree on, that whoever these guys, wherever they're from, uh, they are very advanced technologically, probably spiritually. Uh, But yeah. But Preston, doesn't that make you wonder, is there an extraterrestrial Ikea or rooms to go? Where they would get, you know, furniture. I mean, I would want to know this. Deb, would you want to know? Is this a rattan? Maybe they came from Thailand? I don't know. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I have a better question for you. <laughs> I'm not I'm not seriously asking you that. This is just my personality, uh, much to Deb and everyone else's chagrin. Um, <laughs> so if they are taking biological material, Preston, you would say... They're, I believe, so if, if I'm pressing dinner, I'm saying I believe that they're taking biological material and using it for X. 
Yeah, I think that's pretty clear uh, that that is one of their agendas. So many people are reporting it. The descriptions on this are extremely consistent. And I have to tell you, from the very beginning, way back in the mid-1980s, I got a report involving the hybrid babies, which was before Bud Hopkins' book Intruders came out and really put forth that theory in a, into popular culture. And it is consistently reported. And people who do not know each other, who have not read UFO books, are telling variations, close variations of the same story, which has been transmitted to them by the, I'll call them ETs, mm -hmm. uh, that they are reinvigorating their genetics uh, because they have lost the ability to reproduce due to, and here's where the variations come in, genetic manipulation, uh, conflicts, uh, radiation damage due to space travel, something along these lines. But I hear this over and over again from people, and I've certainly read it in the research of other investigators. Uh, it's a, one of the main gray agendas, I would say, uh, creating hybrid babies, which is weird. I mean, how are they doing this? What does that mean? And what's our relationship to them? Um, and apparently, and this is something a lot of people have been told by the grades that we once looked like you. Our genetics are essentially human. And let's face it, there are human-looking ETs out there, just well, like us. That's what I fear. Like, if I if I fear abduction, because what if they take biological material from me? Now you have a little hybrid baby, and he's bald at the age of like a year old. I mean, that's what I'm worried about. Is I don't want a kid to have to suffer like me. <laughs> I think they should get. You know, they should abduct better. A dub Deb, you know, she's good looking, great head of hair on her. I mean, they should be a little more selective, Deb, don't you think? Uh, I think there's a there's a possibility that I, I do have hybrid children because I think I could be one of those people who doesn't remember. That's a possibility. Okay, one. let me get this question in now, though, because I, I, I got to go. I got to leave you to Preston. But I did want to ask you, Deb, do you think that there are experiences yet that you have not remembered that likely have happened based on what you do remember do you think there's more yeah i think there's a possibility um so when you were talking earlier about not being afraid preston i told someone that when i saw my uap um which was just a really it just i was working right so i was driving and i had kids in my car i was taking them um, home and I saw it in the sky and I'm like yep that's not a helicopter that's not an airplane that's not one of the science blimps that was around here lately because I've been looking in the sky for that reason because there were blimps um, it was right near an airport um, it was just sitting in the sky um, I've only seen one image similar to the one that I saw it was not a saucer um, per se, but it was definitely not a triangle or any of the other obvious shapes. It was a little bit odder than that. In fact, I just couldn't tell you exactly what it looked like other than it was white and metallic. Um, anywho, so I saw it and I wasn't scared. I wasn't freaked out. I was like, I should probably take a picture of that, but I have to keep working. So I kept going. <laughs> 
Right. So I, just, <laughs> I didn't even stop. And then on my way back, I think I saw it again, which is like, I'm not 100%, but I think I did. And it was still like, I got to keep going. I got to take people home, you know? <laughs> it's just like, and then like. Deb, you got a nice phone. <laughs> Well, now I do. Back, like, yeah. honestly, iPhones don't take great pictures. I've tried. Yeah. Like, I've tried yeah. to take a picture of the moon. It looks like a big blob. Okay, so I, I don't want to hear about the phones. <laughs> like, no, I really right. don't. I, I don't think they're uh, meant to take photos of these things. Right. Well, right. yeah. So, but I mean, I have seen great pictures of Tic Tacs that people have taken. People send me pictures, mm-hmm. like, because when I started my right. Facebook page, people wanted to share. In fact, some of their experiences are on my um, UFO connector um, with pictures. But, but my point, though, is that um, I wasn't scared. And this, by the way, was not the reason I started doing this. I didn't do anything with this. I did other things. I briefly um, tried ghost hunting, by the way. You'll you'll appreciate that because I don't know if you know DJ, but Preston does all kinds of paranormal work. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I you like. Ask, this is a multi-tool player. You may want to ask him about Bigfoot before you go, by the way. Um, well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but 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 I, I was really interested in, and this leads to another question later, I was really interested in people and understanding people i was really interested in um religions i was really interested in ghosts and the paranormal in general but ufos were not that big a deal to me i was sort of like yeah that's just a given to me i totally believe yes there there are extraterrestrials it was not a big deal and then about four months ago all of a sudden i had to do this I felt like I needed to do it. Um, wow. And this was a good five, six years after seeing the UAP. Which, like I said, so, and then I did a, I did do like a little C5 experiment. And I did see an orb. It just popped, <laughs> like it kind of like snuck in, went zag and was gone. <laughs> that was it. But, but I've done a lot of things with meditation that have gotten really weird. Um, and I feel like I'm getting more pushed by those things, by those experiences. I'm getting information that I'm trying to share with people. Anyhow, so there were some weird things that happened when I was a kid. And I've told DJ some of them. Um, things like sleepwalking and um, dreams of flying to the point where one time I was dreaming that I was flying while sleepwalking and jumped off the stairs. Oof. Yeah, so I I think I might be one of those people. I there's some other reasons for that that I'm not going to share publicly, but um one of those people who doesn't remember. And when I told a friend of mine about the UAP and that I wasn't scared at all, and to me it wasn't that big a deal, they said you've probably seen them before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's interesting story. to me how there is this amnesia aspect to a lot of this. I don't quite understand, but it's very prominent. And I've come to realize when someone sees something close up, you know, if you have a UFO sighting that's within a couple hundred feet, probably there's some levels of contact there. And if you see UFOs more than once, hmm, that's a huge red flag. Now, there's all these little clues that start to add up and uh, started to realize there's a lot more contactees out there. I think people themselves but realize. I- 
I have a such a different relationship with the phenomenon than some other people, though. Um, for instance, like, I don't think that I'm a typical abductee at all. Like, I have no reason to think that. Um, I also feel like it's pretty clear that I've sent out the message, don't come into my house, and that that's being listened to, because that will freak wow. me out. But I've also sent out the message, if you want to meet me out front, I'll be out there. <laughs> Just let me know, you know? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh, my but, God. She's, but, she's but such I, a boss, man. So <laughs> But But I feel like... Honestly, I'm just going to go a little woo here. I have uh, engagement and I try to communicate about how to do disclosure. And sometimes I feel like I get responses back and forth about that. And I feel like disclosure is something that's going to come from them. Um, and it's going to be fairly soon. And I think they're already in the process of doing that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think they've been doing a publicity campaign for decades, 60, 70, 80 years even. And I started to realize that, you know, I think it was Frank Salisbury, who was the first UFO researcher to use the word display when he wrote the Utah UFO display. Because he's like, these UFOs, they're showing themselves on purpose. And uh, that's clear, you know, with events like Phoenix Lights or... You know, Gulf Breeze or the Hudson Valley wave, where they're, you know, hovering right over a highway. Because mm -hmm. uh, they never need to be seen by us. They have the technology to hide and they do it constantly. Mm -hmm. They're almost always there, I think. Um, but they're they're showing off a lot right now. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I didn't tell you, Deb, I took a report two nights ago. Uh, another one of, so it was an a husband, ex-husband of a high school friend. And I've told you that six or seven of my high school friends had Hudson Valley sightings in the 80s when we were in high school. So she goes, oh, my, my ex, he, I'm going to have him call you because they're still friends. So the ex calls me and tells me about one over this area of um, the Hudson Valley called Mayapak Falls. And it's probably about 10, 15 minutes from where I live, not very far. And he talked about his father seeing it and him running outside. And now they're following it in the car. And then all of a sudden he gets a call that it's over the Taconic Stake Parkway. Parkway. And you guys all know that, you know, J. Allen Hynek and uh, what was his name? Uh, Bob uh, Pratt. Remember. Bob Pratt, right. Uh, and Philip, um, I can't remember that gentleman's name either. Imbrogno. Imbrogno, <laughs> yeah. Or Imbrono, however he, yeah. Italian pronunciation but uh but in any case yeah they uh also documented that as well and so this individual said yeah my brother called me and said everybody on the taconic is getting out of their cars and looking so wow deb did that make itself apparent <laughs> so so dj i know you said that you had to go but i really think you should talk about bigfoot while you can yes sir uh preston so it's interesting. I heard one of the Navajo Rangers who I desperately want to get a hold of to have him on Jonathan Dover to speak about uh, his experience tracking Sasquatch. Uh, and I listened to Micah Hanks have on somebody who appeared to be extremely learned talking about uh, the, the, the prints that were lifted off of the uh, from the Patterson Gimlin film. Uh, when that incident happened, but they do not believe that this is an interdimensional uh, creature. They believe this is just a creature that's just 
a mammal that that lives out in the wild like a bear or a gorilla. So my question to you is, and and Jonathan Dover says, I and my partner are experts at tracking at humans. You know anything? You know we track things. Uh, that's what we do as Navajo. And he said I tracked Bigfoot or Sasquatch into the middle of a field and the tracks disappear, which led me to believe, well, then how did it, and he's asking, how did it just get, did it just get lifted up off the ground to where, so what's your take on whether or not you believe he's, he's just a mammal living among us or, or an interdimensional uh, creature of some sort? Yeah. I flip-flopped a little bit on this. Cause I'm like, Hmm, you know, I've, sort of got dragged into Bigfoot like UFOs kicking and screaming and a bit skeptical, but started to realize all these subjects are connected, whether it's ghosts or NDEs or what have you, and got my first Bigfoot UFO case where the two phenomena intersected perfectly, which was quite disturbing. <laughs> and then I got another one. I'm like, all right, fine. Let's look into Bigfoot. And I was, of course, shocked. It is real. I think if you are skeptical you haven't done your homework the evidence is absolutely overwhelming and fairly conclusive that there is something to this mm -hmm. and i mean we've got hair samples and uh, all, all kinds of physical evidence uh, and i think it is clear that some of these do have very pronounced interdimensional aspects people are like well is it interdimensional or is it you know a primate and my answer would be well kind of all beings have interdimensional aspects to them we ourselves are interdimensional beings we can go out of body we have a soul there is life after death uh, animals have ghosts have spirits live on and I think all beings do and if you look at the Bigfoot accounts it's clear that some of these guys are fairly intelligent mm -hmm. and i interviewed someone who watched them disappear turn invisible in front of him so i lean towards at least some of these guys being absolutely interdimensional but i can't say all because there's such variation mm -hmm. from the florida skunk ape to the you know the 10 foot tall sasquatch in california to short little wild men and um, just all different types of cryptozoological primates. I think some of them probably are your typical primate, and maybe not interdimensional, but some absolutely are, 100%. I personally would like to go out of body, but when I go back in, I want something like maybe like a 15% body fat content and, and get rid of some of this. So that's what I'm looking for in an out-of-body experience, <laughs> personally. I don't know about you guys. Um, <laughs> I, I just want to know how to do it because I've I have had the experience where I felt like I was being pulled from my spine, and I'm like, is that right? Is that how it's supposed to happen? I don't know. I'd like to know how to do that. Oh, well, I teach classes. I I got really good at it. <laughs> I wrote a book on it. You know, after my mom died in 1984, I started having weird experiences. And mm -hmm. when I found out UFOs were real, it was right around that time I started having out-of-body experiences. 
Oh, you you know, you know, I just feel like there's like synchronicity sometimes with this that's really considerable because I haven't told DJ this, but I had a friend who told me that he had out of body experiences when I was a kid, you know, and I had another friend who told me that she saw ghosts. And then I had another friend that um, told me, um, you know, that they had like psychic dreams and like all these people just came. Oh, I had one that told me that he could see demons. You know, and these people right. were normal, right? And it's completely <laughs> normal otherwise, right? But they were telling me these things, and maybe it's because I was interested. But they told me, so yeah, I've known about auto- out of body since I was a kid, and I just can't do it. I don't know how to do it, but <laughs> I would love to. I have very intense meditations, though. I don't know if that's the same. Oh, I think you'll. I mean. In my experience, when you have an out-of-body experience, you know it. You there's absolutely no doubt because you t- turn around and you see your body lying there on bed. You know instantly there's life after death, and uh, it is wild. I mean, it's absolutely so much fun. I could not recommend it enough. Some people do have a steep learning curve, but I think given the right sort of tools to do it, it's not that hard to do taught a lot of people how to do it. it can be very scary i think the main obstacles are really skepticism fear and laziness to be perfectly blunt it's difficult to learn it's like learning a, a new computer language or a musical instrument or you know a new language it's sort of applied knowledge and if you really put forth the effort if you obsess yourself with it uh, the more effort you put forth, the more successful you'll be at it. I think I'll try it too. So I think I'll try it. Preston, when when Deb describes her friend as completely normal, you've already figured out she's not talking about me. Um, nobody, <laughs> nobody's ever characterized me that way. Uh, but but I I do want to uh, thank you for coming on and sharing your vast wealth of experience with Deb and myself and uh we look for it's you know i remember seeing you on ucr and thinking wow this guy's had a lot of different experiences uh uh for so many years so many of us are brand new to this topic and so when we get to speak like with joe Joe mergia or speak with someone like yourself it's uh it's very illuminating or even susan fenston for that matter has been around following this for 40 years so um We'll definitely see you down the road, sir. Thank you so much for uh, letting me ask you some questions. And Deb, for allowing me to ask you some questions. All right, <laughs> hey, my Deb, pleasure. It's an honor. I think yeah, Deb we, said it, of course, on you. <laughs> yeah, we have, the, we have a, a rule about uh, infiltration. All cabbies are allowed to infiltrate <laughs> the dojo. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, of course, it's great for all of us to get to learn more. Thank you, Preston. We'll see you down the road, brother. All right. Bye, awesome. DJ. Nam- namaste. <laughs> so I actually, I want to ask you about one of the experiences that I had in meditation. And, you know, it seems like a weird thing to, to go into what is a meditation and try to get answers from it. But one of the experiences that I had was being shown how to fly the craft, um, which was basically that the craft are not uh, machines like our machines, that they're basically living objects. 
and then you have to um physically connect to the craft like you, you know and then consciously control it and think of it as part of your body essentially and has anyone else discussed anything like that with you have they also been shown that oh yeah yeah i would say that's more the rule than the exception i have talked to people who've been like sat down in the seat and said here's a little joystick and you can fly it that way but by and large people do especially ones who have you know some advanced awareness of their experiences sort of come farther along the path than perhaps uh, others uh, do feel like these craft are living beings embodied and they are flown through a process of connecting to them empathically mentally spiritually and like you described operating it like a body and uh, that is something i hear actually quite often and uh, i think this is why you know because we hear some of these crash retrieval reports and according to the whistleblowers who are you know talking about these craft they go inside and they're like where's the power source <laughs> you know this craft is empty how come there's no engine what's going on here that's because they're not flown in the way that you know our craft are like you right. referenced earlier these are far different than our vehicles these are beings in and of themselves right i do think that we have um multiple uh craft in that sense also that some of them are not even manned um that they're still being controlled by someone or you know i say someone some being consciously but they're not they don't have an inhabitant if that makes sense and i suspect that often when people are doing the ce5 exercises or you know trying to get a response they're attracting these craft because the craft are controlled consciously and that's what they're seeing Which yeah is, and it's often orbs you know and, I, and I, I tend to say those are basically if you want to use the term et they're essentially et's drones you know if they're et drones a lot of those orbs so I feel like people are attracting them when they're doing the CE5, which I think also may miff our visitors or co-inhabitants or others sometimes, knowing that their orbs got derailed by someone doing a CE5. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you never know. I agree that uh, these are probably a number of them probes or drones or you know something along those lines, as we would think of it. Uh, but I don't know. It's very interesting because sometimes I think these are actually beings in and of themselves because there are a number of reports where people will see a orb and then it elongates and widens and boom, it's a gray. Or it might just expand in size and become a ship. So it's perhaps a portal to this. Or, yeah, I mean, consciousness plays a far more powerful role in this than it's given credit for. And uh, you know, like attracts like is a big thing. Uh, I think people are putting forth their thoughts and their consciousness uh, will be far more successful. That's the whole key to CE5s. It's not so much shining a flashlight in the air. It's really calling them out to them and connecting to them telepathically, mentally through your consciousness. Yeah, I just want to say for the record, do not put a green laser into the air unless you want to attract 
bats because although bats are considered blind, they are attracted to green lights. <laughs> so no lasers. Also, it's very dangerous for pilots. I don't recommend the lasers. You don't need it. If you are a good antenna, you don't need lasers. So I don't know. I just want to say that every time someone talks about the lasers, I get upset. <laughs> Yeah, so does my friend Dolly. She says, no, do not use those. The ETs hate them. <laughs> they will not show up, particularly if you shine them. And, you know, it's a big problem for pilots. It's against the law to shine them at aircraft. So, yeah, don't do it. So um, I, I know that another thing that was mentioned um, when you went on a prior interview was that you had a sighting with an orb yourself. Um, and you get you got the sense that it was, you know, a sentient orb. Um, but you also kind of mentioned that you had seen other things since then. Could you elaborate on that? Yeah, um, 1992 was a big year for me, uh, starting with that orb encounter, which I think I probably had missing time because I forgot it, by the way. I did not remember it for some months. And it just kind of came back to me, which is phantasmagorical to me. But having interviewed other people who've had that experience, I get it now. You can actually have this wiped from your conscious mind. And that year, I started to have a number of sightings. I went up to the Mount Shasta area, Crater Lake, you know, in Northern California, and saw this light up in the sky. Well, my brother saw it first. And we shined a flashlight at it and it blinked back at us. I mean, it was clear communication. And uh, was shortly after that, I attended a CE5 meeting with Stephen Greer, where he came to LA to form a CSETI group. And we went out the first night. And no long, soon as we got out there on the Santa Susana Pass, uh, UFO showed up. I could not freaking believe it. <laughs> Someone said, look, look up. And, the, you know, I've, I was a huge astronomy buff. I know that this was not a satellite. It was huge. It was not a balloon or a plane or a helicopter. You know, you go through this theory escalation when you see something because you don't want to jump to UFO. That's the last thing that kind of comes to your mind. And uh, we went out the next night and had weird flashes of light coming over our group. So I was hooked, and we formed a small group of 10, 15 of us. Uh, core group was about 10 or 15 with stragglers here and there. And we went out regularly for five years, every other month or so, and had a number of really cool sightings, mostly of anomalous lights. Uh, but yeah, these guys started coming closer and closer to me. I remember one really cool incident was I was in my condominium complex, <laughs> transcribing an interview from this lady who was full-on contactee and hybrid babies, uh, close-up sightings. Her friends and family were everywhere she went. UFOs were following her. And she had described this incident where grays appeared around her bed, freaked her out. She was in full-on terror, jumped up and kicked one in the neck, and its neck snapped. And I'm like, wow. And I'm transcribing this particular section of the interview and I remember leaning back in my chair thinking huh this is a lot for me to wrap my head around 
when I got a very strong, absolutely irresistible impulse <laughs> to go onto the roof. And you know, I've read this a thousand times and certainly interviewed people who are like, oh, I couldn't control this impulse. You know, and I drove off the freeway or I ran outside and I saw a UFO. And that's exactly what happened to me. I could not stop myself from running onto the roof of my condo. And no sooner had I got up there, I mean, not more than 10 or 20 seconds, when this UFO appeared. It was a bright orange oval fiery light right across the street, 100, 200 feet, treetop level, right above the palm trees there, right above this little apartment complex. And it blasted me with this message, <laughs> uh, which was very, very clear, but not so much in English or words, but it, the message was absolutely clear. And it said, no, it's us. We're Wendy's ETs. You know, you don't believe. Well, watch this. And it started darting around. Well, back and forth is what it did. It went back and forth, back and forth in like 20 foot lengths and turning at super acute angles, going lower and lower and lower till it was actually below the trees. And then it winked out. And I'm like, wow, they spoke to me. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I felt the same way when I saw that orb. I felt like it was just saying hi. You know, it was just like a little cute little high. <laughs> That's why it was like, but, but I also, I, I get this message of being careful. Um, and it, it's discomforting to me. Um, occasionally I get this message of be careful of putting yourself out there. Be careful of what you're attracting um, because not all things are benevolent. Um so that that's I don't, I'm sure other people have mentioned that to you. We've you mentioned that some people may misunderstand, but I have gotten that message of being cautious. No, that's interesting. No, I haven't mm -hmm. heard that a whole lot. So yeah, that's mm -hmm. fascinating to me. Um, yeah, it's a big universe. I I can totally get that. Uh, but what I find interesting about this phenomena is it's very persistent. It's been around for how long? <laughs> before recorded history, at least. Uh, and here we are. We're still here. We're not taken over. Uh, so I, I don't feel like this is a super huge danger. And I suspect that to some extent we're watched over. Uh, but I don't know. This is still, still a lot of questions surrounding this whole phenomena. Uh, but yeah. The and, more and, research I do, the more I feel like this is overall benevolent. Right. I do think that the majority are. And I do feel like, you know, the simple involvement here is exploratory and resources. Um, but I think the need for contact, why that, that pressure is building makes me curious. I wonder if it's just they think that we're getting close to being ready enough for it you know i i don't know what it is like why that's gonna happen um and you know even lou alizondo recently mentioned you know contacts what are we gonna do when that happens are we gonna put a hand out are we gonna point a rifle um so i feel like he maybe also senses that and i think a lot of other people are sensing that 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 might be eminent and i and i wonder since so far essentially we've 
you know, engaged in a resource level. Like they've come and gotten water. They've come and gotten DNA. You know, they've come and possibly gotten some other things. Some people think they're interested in gold. I'm not particularly thinking they are. Um, but why do you think they might want to engage with us at all? Like considering how dangerous we are. Yeah, that is a, absolutely something I've wondered about because uh, they do seem to be obsessed with all things human <laughs> and for that matter, all things earth. How many accounts are there of them out there digging holes and collecting soil or leaves from plants or pulling rabbits and, you know, cows and all kinds of animals? A lot. They are definitely absolutely conducting a full on study of our planet covering over our nuclear power stations, dams, factories, Air Force bases. Uh, it's clear that they are very, very interested in us. And uh, just based on what they're actually communicating to people, they seem to be very, very concerned about our warlike ways, our greed and corruption, uh, the way we're polluting our planet, our use of nuclear weapons. That is the number one message beyond don't be afraid, we won't hurt you. That is the message they're giving. So it does seem that there's sort of a uh, a relationship there where they are just concerned, like a parent would be, uh, that we are on the verge of really hurting ourselves and destroying ourselves, and that they're stepping in for that reason, and that perhaps our relationship to them is a bit closer than we realize. We are them, they are us. That is a message every well, i don't i won't say every but over and over again i hear that from contactees they get that message we are one well i have a theory about that it gets a little weird but i'll tell it to you if you like <laughs> sure <laughs> i mean it, it all gets weird right um so my thought is everything ties into each other like everything is connected and one of the things that is connected is the idea of the simulation theory the people have this impression that we're in a simulation, right? And in a sense, I think they're right because I think our biological bodies are like avatars and that our consciousness is our true being. And that when we die, we return to our, the God source, the origin, right? Our real um, beginning, our real home. And then we decide where we want to go next and we come out again and we pick a planet, we pick where we want to basically experience that avatar life again and then we go back and forth and i think um we're all connected because we don't always choose to be human um and i i get the sense that some of us who have that sense that we have had past experiences with these beings were not necessarily human in a recent life um, I think that's part of it. We're all essentially from that one source coming out and then going back. Yeah, that's my I thought. Think I think you've hit on it. We're all an indivisible, integral part of this universe. So how, and you can't separate a piece of the universe from the universe itself uh, because it is all this one thing. I think you're right about, you know, past lives. This is certainly something a lot of contactees have been told. You were us in a past life. I went to see Bashar once, Daryl Anka, and he pointed to me. He's like, you were an ET in a past life. You're here to anchor the ET energy. That was well before I had you know, written books or 
was that all well known and uh had two other channelers tell me that same thing right. uh, and have, ha have had some memories myself when you go out of body and mm -hmm. or take, go to the other side uh, it's absolutely clear that you're exactly right you, mm -hmm. you know we're astral projection as it turn as it's termed it's sort of not accurate we're projecting down here into a physical body from our true home which is the other side right and a lot of people um see those other places um and it's really interesting to have conversations and find out there's so much in common considering like i said i wasn't really involved with all of this until four months ago but i've already um, met a light being in my meditation and then they told me something very strange they told me that they were myself and my grandmother at the same time that it was essentially me and my grandmother which was very confusing and they were separate from me but they're like no i'm you and i found that very strange but then i spoke to another experiencer who said they had the same experience they met a light being the light being said i'm your soul essentially but i'm not you like so i feel like it's almost like um being introduced to what's going on that the thing that we can't really see at this point but we will when we die we'll understand it then and then i just at all the different people i've talked to there's so many things that match up you know like the seeing of orbs after you die you know because essentially we're not going to have this body right after we die we're going to be basically energy um so i just so many things line up it's so interesting considering i've just found it's like coming really fast to me in such a short period of time <laughs> yeah i know that feeling i was hit real hard as a young man when i found out ufos were real that collapsed my belief system uh, then i started having out-of-body experiences and that pretty much shattered it and i don't think identity is what people think it is it's a lot looser and uh, when you start having out-of-body experiences you start remembering your past lives and realize like wow you know you're, it's like how would i put it like putting on a different set of clothes almost identity is you know i don't want to be anybody else i like being me <laughs> Um, what, what's a past life that's sort of really hard for me to wrap my head around? Like, why don't, am I going to become someone else? And I kind of slowly came to realize, like, it's not quite like that. You are always you. You may just change your name, change your form, change your experience, change your perceptions, change your locations. But you are your consciousness. That's who you truly are. Yeah, and, I've, and I have, of course, tried desperately to to put some science into that you know <laughs> i've tried to look at things like and i find there is some science they're doing science on things like the biofield you know the energy that emits from us and things like that um they're doing science of course on that um intuitive part of the brain that you know we suspect may be the antenna right um so there is science behind some of this but i guess we're just not at that point of fully understanding yet um why some of these things can be explained in a scientific way and some we just intuitively know yeah i think we as humans have a real tendency and desire to label everything and pigeonhole it and categorize it and 
explain it when ultimately you can put any labels you want on anything. It's not going to explain it. The entire world existence is by its nature <laughs> absolutely phenomenal and inexplicable. And yeah, I think yes. we can figure out, you know, mechanisms to a certain mm -hmm. extent, which is awesome. And I love the fact that, you know, people have proven telepathy in a laboratory setting. They've proven human levitation in a laboratory setting, proven it, proven out-of-body experiences. Robert Monroe, very famous for his out-of-body experiences, went into a lab and created an apparition. So this is something that absolutely has science behind it. Right. And the remote viewing as well, which I know is not quite the same as out of body. Essentially, you stay in your body when you remote view. Um, I, I have recently asked someone to delineate the two for me. Um, but they did show that there was, you know, statistic, statistically effective, not 100 percent, but it was effective. So they did do some science with that as well. So. Yeah, the research on that is amazing. I've done it myself, and it's incredible when you get it right. You're like, wow, I actually did it. And I think the very best thing for people to or dealing with this is, yeah, look at the science, but ultimately it's personal experience because there's a difference between belief and knowledge. And you can read all the books you want, and you can study everything to death, but until you actually do it yourself, that's true knowledge. True knowledge comes almost exclusively from actual experience. So I think that's what really people need to do is you know, don't believe the government who's lying. No, don't believe me. Don't believe anybody. Find out for yourself if you can go out of body. Go If you want to see a UFO, you can. It's not hard to do. Go outside. Calm them down. You'd be surprised how easy it is to do this stuff. And, and the fact that so many people understand that goes into how another thing connects, which is that whole concept of a collective consciousness. You know, we all seem to share these ideas. We all seem to understand and have some of the similar ideas to share about this. So I just I feel like the, everything I look at connects to something else um, that I'm not finding one thing that's just wrong. Um, and that I feel like they're all part of a big puzzle. And, and one day, humanity will understand why it's all connected. Yeah, there's a lot of buzz about like contact modalities and how these various phenomena, like a near-death experience or an experience with ghosts or out-of-body experiences or Bigfoot or you know, being taken on board a UFO are various pathways to essentially the same sort of enlightenment or revelation that we are all one right. i'm still a big believer that you know an out-of-body experience is separate it's not you know bigfoot is a bigfoot mm -hmm. you know someone's taken on board that's exactly what's happening i don't think this is a phenomenon that's wearing different masks uh and putting on symbolic shows i think most of what people are experiencing when they talk about ufos are Aliens, extraterrestrials, not all. It's a big umbrella, and a lot of stuff gets pushed under this umbrella called UFOs, when some of it is clearly not. I mean, some of it, if you look into the angelic phenomena, it's 
very compelling evidence for angels and for that matter, demons, bad ghosts and fairies and all kinds of supernatural creatures, jinns. Uh, these exist and they're not extraterrestrials. <laughs> they are something else. There are a wide variety of paranormal beings out there or what we right. call paranormal. We do have a growing number of cryptid uh, videos, crypt, uh, cryptid creature videos popping up. And of course, it's hard nowadays to know if, you know, what's CG. Of course, I just kind of have to assume a lot of those are until I can see it in person because so many people seem to enjoy faking those videos, right? But, oh, you know, the, the other day someone was like, nope, this is 100% real. And it was some sort of insect-like creature that looked a little bit like a grasshopper but huge walking through a highway have no idea like nowadays until we see it in person but the possibilities are endless and and one thing i like to point out when people talk about all these creatures and these strange things is there's so much about our own planet we still don't understand some of the creatures in our oceans are super bizarre looking. I don't understand why people close off to some of these other things when our own planet is extremely odd. <laughs> yeah, that's always a point I like to make when someone's like, oh, I would love to see, you know, an alien, a different species. I'm like, well, look at dolphins. Take a look at them. Now look at all the different creatures on our dogs, cats. These are different species with a different intelligence. And are still you know, as aware as us and uh, very intelligent, far more intelligent than people give them credit for. Did you know ravens have the intelligence of like a three to five-year-old child? They are smart. <laughs> I remember I went to see a, you know, a show on this and the guy's speaking and demonstrating this. And I turned to my five-year-old nephew. I'm like, look, that raven is as smart as you. <laughs> he looked up at me like, what? <laughs> Yeah, it's a, a point I'm trying to make is there are different species on our planet that we can look to that will give us incredible knowledge about different types of life. Right. And definitely different types of societies. So people have made that comparison. I'm one of those people who really enjoyed Ender's Game. And um, if for those who are not familiar, the story kind of indicates a whole species of extraterrestrials that are live basically like insects do with a hive with a with a queen and a whole bunch of soldiers and we have that example on our planet you know we have that example of how that can be when we look at bees and you know insects like ants you know so yeah there's a whole bunch just on our own planet if we look to it that'll educate us about the possibilities for sure yeah, it's very interesting because looking at the reports of humanoids, I guess we call them ETs, as is the most popular theory as to what we're dealing with, certainly. Uh, they're almost always humanoids. <laughs> it's very strange. And that's kept me out of the field for a while. I'm like, eh, this is Star Trek. This can't be real. Aliens would be different from us. Nope. They are largely, almost exclusively humanoid, whether it's greys, or any variation thereof, or human-looking ETs just like us, or you know, little blue beings, or light beings. They still have arms and legs. And praying mantis, 
That's very common. Uh, almost always humanoids, cat-like beings, dog-like beings. I remember the stories of the dog man when they came out. I'm like, what? <laughs> You're telling me werewolves are real? I mean, please stop. And uh, But I have gotten you know a few reports myself. I spoke with Linda Godfrey, who really sort of spearheaded the research into, quote, dogman encounters. And uh, now it's fairly well accepted that these kinds of beings do exist on our planet. And there is a wide variety of these cryptozoological beings who are sort of coming and going interdimensionally. Right. And even if you just look at humans in our own genetic makeup, we have some very peculiar things that happen. We have the children who look like they're 80 when they're five. We have giants among humans. We have um, little people. We have um, the people who they call the, the wolf people who get excessive amounts of hair. We have the people who are allergic to the sun, just like vampires. You know, so that's just humans and that's genetics and that's part of our life. But again, as soon as you mention something non-human, people just shut down. Their brains are like, nope. Even though we have all of that among uh, the people in humanity, even twins is kind of a strange thing, right? Quadruplets and so on. Doesn't matter. As soon as it's the word non-human is mentioned, people can't deal with it. <laughs> I, or I should say, not originally from Earth, you know, but soon, as soon as that's mentioned, it doesn't matter how weird the stuff on Earth is. And it's just as soon as it's not from Earth, they shut down. And I've yep, seen some yep. weird things in the ocean. <laughs> I'm telling you, yeah. The evidence for sea monsters is very compelling. And yeah, like you said, hypertrichosis, the wolf people, porphyria, the people who are allergic to some, progeria. These are all genetic, um, I don't even like to call them mutations. They're just genetic conditions, I guess would probably be the best way of putting it. And it's, if you look at the, you know, if you study genetics, it, the genetics of, you know, asparagus and a peacock and a giraffe and a human and a chimpanzee are very, very, very similar. Uh, there's not a whole huge variety like people think. And genetic dials up different for each species, but we're all carrying essentially the same genes. And I suspect that genetics is universal. And that grays have, you know, DNA too, as do mantids, as do all creatures who manifest in the third dimension here and live physical lives. Uh, genetics is a huge part of all this. And, it, and it's really worth mentioning, according to what science believes right now, initially, everything would have been very close together. And everything that has created the universe eventually expanded apart and it's still expanding supposedly right but initially all the building blocks for everything would have been very close together so yeah if if they all are similar to us it wouldn't surprise me at all like they have had the same building blocks essentially yeah i think that's exactly the situation we're dealing with and that we are have a far closer relationship to these guys than probably it's not fair to call them, you know, alien. 
And our diversity, like you said, here on Earth, whether you're talking about the pygmy people or the you know the Watusi, who you know are upwards of seven feet tall, uh, and all the variations of skin color, uh, our variation of among humans, I think we look more different than perhaps grays uh, are to humans. I mean, there's wide variation among the grays as well. Wide variation among the mantis beings. Talk to a lot of people who describe the mantis beings, and they're often described as anywhere from six, seven to eight feet tall. But I have reports of up to 15 feet tall, and they're described as gray. They're described as green, brown. I just interviewed a lady. The one she saw was about five to six feet tall and had a reddish skin. So there's variation among all species. I also find it interesting to discuss the eye color because the um, human eye is actually rather unusual. Most of the animals on our planet don't have white in the eye. And for some reason, we still look at these um, beings that people are drawing and get kind of freaked out by the all black eye. But our eye is the one that makes less sense when you think about it logically and there's also been a talk of red eyes right there's been several people have seen red eyes and we do have creatures on our planet that have red eyes and some just really weird eyes actually you know like the ones that some of the uh, creatures on our planet have like multiple eyes you know it's just some strange things but you know again once you say it might be et people freak out yeah, well, look at spiders. They have, you know, eight, nine eyes sometimes. It's really interesting. There's a book by Ellis Silver, which I think is very interesting because he puts forth a sort of uh, argument to say that humans are not super well adapted to Earth. And he raises some very interesting points. Um, I mean, we can only live in a very narrow temperature range. Anyone over six feet tall probably has lower back problems. Uh, yeah, our eyes are different. There's not a lot of food on this planet that we can eat you know, to survive without preparing it in some way. Uh, we're not per- particularly well-suited to this planet, uh, which makes me wonder in the fact that there are human-looking ETs out there, like Travis Walton saw and many others, uh, makes me wonder, hmm, did we evolve here? Yeah. So I don't know if you've read, and I just could not wait to ask you this question about star people. Um, I think it's already Six Killer Clark has written some books about this, and I've been reading one lately. Um, and they, um, and I don't want to say all of the cultures uh, believe this, but a lot of the people that she spoke to among the Native Americans or indigenous people um, believe that those are ancestors. The star people are ancestors. And of course, some of them look like our people, you know, because we were them, you know, they're our ancestors. So there's this whole concept of, you know, they came, they populated the planet, and then they kept traveling. Yeah. I love Artie Six Killer Clark. Okay. Uh, her books Good. are very, very refreshing. And I think our show how there's quite a bit of, I don't want to call it full on disinformation, but selective perhaps uh, reporting on this subject. 
because her the accounts she puts in her book are clearly sincere and honest and are quite a bit different from a lot of the reports we hear from some mainstream researchers and uh, describe a wide, wide variety of beings, which is what I found in my own research. And uh, yeah, she does. Talk, I've interviewed Native Americans who uh, say the same thing, that they believe that they are descendants from star people. One guy called him the Woje, uh, which is essentially the same thing in Seneca. Uh, so I think that just goes to, again, to speak to our close relationship to these guys and uh, the fact that we are not alone. We have never been alone. Uh, and uh, the theory of evolution, while I'm mean, clearly true, people do evolve. I'm not so sure it was necessarily from primates as we would think of it. Uh, I think there probably was quite a bit of genetic manipulation and intervention going on throughout human history. That seems clear to me. We're seeing that now with the hybrid baby phenomena. But it's clear to me from, you know, I love Artie Six Killers Clark's books uh, because the, the accounts are just different. They're a lot more friendly, but not all of them. Some are not, not nice. Uh, and describe a wide, wide variety of beings, which is absolutely, I think, what we're seeing here in the United States. I think we're very much dominated by reports of greys. And in my own research, I'd say at least 50% is greys. But yeah. there, and, and the, there's the, a lot. The, the tricky thing about the gray, though, is that the, if you look at um, some of the other beings, they actually could be kind of the same. Like even the, um, the mantis being that they describe the eyes are somewhat the same, right? It's just the shape of the head is a bit different. And and I actually made this point to someone when they were saying, oh, I don't think we could have that many different species coming to our planet um, because if they had traveled from um, another planet, it would have taken so long. I make a few points about this. I say, first of all, they've had a lot longer than us. Of course, they could have traveled that long. They could have been here way long before we were here. Um, and then I also make the point, we have a lot of species on our planet, you know, so why couldn't they all be from one other planet? I mean, I don't think they are. I don't think that's what's happening. But logically speaking, they could all be from one planet. They could all look similar for that reason. <laughs> but that's just yeah. that's just my two cents on that. Some of them might be from here. There's a new term called crypto terrestrials. Uh, they've been here longer than we have. You know, they're not necessarily extra terrestrials. Uh, yeah, and I, I totally agree. I think the variation is wild. And uh, that's what kept me out of the field, too. It's like, well, the stars are too far away. You know, it's science. If, if you know how hard far the stars are, what are uh, you cannot get there using propellants with our current technology. It would take hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of years. It's just not going to happen. And it becomes clear if you study the UFO accounts that that's not how they're traveling. They're not using propellants. They are coming through portholes. They have a way of traveling interdimensionally. 
and are able to traverse great distances in very short periods of time. I've talked to people who believe that they've been taken to other planets. There are many accounts out there. One really well-verified case uh, was the hunter from uh, Rawlings, Wyoming, who was, gosh, what, Carl Higdon, who had an encounter where he was taken on board a craft. It was really tiny. It was like 10 feet wide. He goes on board. It's huge inside. He sees elk there that he was hunting. They took him to another planet instantly. Uh, it did not take long at all. He was healed of, by the way, kidney stones and tubercular scars. And there were people in the area at the time who saw UFOs. This truck was found without any tracks around it. Uh, it's a really well-verified case. And I think it has a lot to speak about the nature of this phenomenon. Well, I feel I'm, I don't want to take too much more of your time because we definitely went over. It's just so much to talk about. But I really want to tell you about someone I interviewed recently. Um, her name is Marie. Um, she um, told me a story of being on board a craft. It's in one of the previous Deb's Data Dojo interviews. Um, while she was telling me the story, I very much could vividly see what she was talking about. And almost it was as vivid as when I meditate. It was very vivid. She was describing that the people on board the craft were being shown two planets. One where there was what seemed like poison oozing through the planet, which I assume was their way of saying your planet's getting polluted. Another planet where they were showing they were populating a planet. And on that on that craft that she was on, they had a whole bunch of plants. Um, so I feel like they were giving this message to her. You know, your planet's getting messed up. We're taking you guys because we need to repopulate another planet. Like, I feel like they were giving an answer to why these people were being abducted. Um, so I just, I felt like I needed to share that story with you. Yeah, it's very interesting. I, I've heard similar stories. And uh, I think it's entirely possible that that will happen to us. I mean, we could have an existential crisis where they intervene and say, you know what, it's time to go. There was one guy interviewed uh, who was with a group of friends and one of his friends had an experience and was taken on board and the ETs invited him to go with them. And he declined. And they said, well, if you change your mind, we'll come back. Long story short, that's exactly what happened. And he went on board with them and disappeared. Uh, he was a missing persons case. The police were called, you know, his parents, they never found him. They found his car, the keys were still in it. He apparently went with the ETs. That's what it looks like. Uh, so that is something that a lot of contactees are talking about this. And one thing I hear over and over again from contactees is the same dream of UFOs appearing in large numbers in the skies. And people are like freaking out. And they're like, no, it's okay. Go on board. I'll, I'll show you. This is a very, very common dream, which really makes me scratch my head and wonder if this is any way precognitive i've definitely heard that from someone recently that's strange i've definitely heard they described that exact dream 
<laughs> weird huh yes um that, that's eerie um but i will say that when i talk um to them about that um the bigger issue is you know they can do that but it's actually getting out of the craft and being safe that is the concern um because frankly you know humans can be um when they're scared they end up being a little aggressive sometimes and they value life highly um so they don't really want any of them to die just so that they can do contact so that's one of those things that still needs to be figured out yes they can do the show with all the the craft and and we'll get everyone on board and sense all <laughs> i shouldn't use that saying <laughs> get everyone to be aware not on board necessarily <laughs> sorry guys but get everyone to be aware by doing that right they could do that um there i don't think that's gonna help with contact per se i think that will maybe even scare more people especially people who saw independence day so um that's one thing that needs to be worked out still. I think it may still happen that way. Um, you know, it's happened many times in history. Um, it's happened over the Capitol, uh, you know, essentially the Phoenix Lights. It's um, numerous, numerous stories where lots of people witnessed at one time. So I think it's going to happen again, but I don't think that's going to help us with the contact part. Yeah, ultimately, we, we do need to overcome fear. I think that's one of the things that's really holding back open official contact is our prejudices, our divisiveness, our warlike ways, our inability to elect leaders who have our best interests in mind. Uh, that is what we really need to work on. It's up to us to solve our own problems. Um, ET stepping in and you know handing us the answers isn't going to help us. Uh, yeah, everyone needs happening. to learn. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but I think I think you're right. We're close to the point where I think people would be able to handle a full-on display and mm -hmm. it would change would change the public consciousness and bring us together in a way like, okay, we're not alone. There are other people out there. Ultimately, the universe is safe. The very worst thing that can happen to a person is moving on to the, a higher dimension. Uh, and that's right. fine. And you, you can come back. The universe is safe. We need to overcome our fear. Uh, and that is what our real problem is. Right. And I, and I hope you're right that people will be able to handle it. I think it really depends. Um, because I, there, I have spoken to so many people who are still very scared um, because they don't understand. And when we don't understand something, there's fear. Um, I think it's going to take more than just the display. We have displays going on right now, an excessive number of craft over uh, military right now. Um, so obviously people might have realized when, when the government said 144 sightings, they meant that's a lot, okay? It's not just one object seen 144 times it was swarms of objects being seen at 144 different incidents and some of those swarms were there for days so that's a lot there's a lot going on it's concerning to the military of course but um at some point that swarm may show up somewhere else 
um, and may be visible to other people. And, you know, I, I just think we need to think what then do we do next? You know, so that's that's where I'm at. I'm just, well, how do we handle the next part? Because that part's already getting ready to happen and it is essentially already happening. So what do we do next? So that's one to ponder. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, one thing is for sure that the situation will change. Change is inevitable. I think it's pretty clear this phenomenon is not going to go away. It's been pretty much escalating and our awareness of it is escalating. Cat's out of the bag. Cover-up can't go on. It's not tenable. Sooner or later, it's going to collapse under its own weight. Uh, so I think that's what we're going to see uh, is you know truth flooding over society because you can't hide the truth. It takes care of itself. You can't hide this guy. You can't hide the fact that UFOs exist. Most people know what UFOs are. No, I've heard of them, certainly. And uh, so I think we're going to be looking at big changes up ahead because that's the pattern. That's the way it's always been. Things evolve. And <laughs> uh, the future is, it's a great time to be alive here on Earth because I think we're really at a crossroads, of, right on the verge of a real sea change, a paradigm shift. And it's going to be really interesting to see how this all rolls out. I'm pretty excited about it. I know, we keep getting told, you haven't seen anything yet. So <laughs> Just we'll wait. See. I know. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'd really like um, us to make some progress with this. Because again, I get the sense um, that our friends are tired of it. They're tired of the hiding. They're tired of, you know, some of the behaviors. <laughs> that are involved with all of it, you know, just tired and, and tired. And they want, they want to move on to the next step. You know, I imagine that all of these beings are probably interacting with each other. Right. So maybe oh, they're yeah. just like, maybe they're just like, come on guys, let's just, let's just get on with the show. Let's move on. <laughs> let's get a little further. Um, after all, you know, it's, it's funny because we're already doing the things that people claim that they wouldn't do. Like that these beings, you know, we're imagining them. They would never be coming here. But we're already getting ready to move to Mars, right? So, you know, it's like something encoded in all beings, apparently. Just explore, find things, interact, you know. But yep. part of that beginning group of uh cosmic dust before it expanded <laughs> yeah it's such a shame there is a cover-up which there is you know it's demonstrable it's not speculation we know it mm -hmm. and it's really screwed up humanities and our progress towards realizing our oneness right. and the I fact know. that we're not alone but not anymore <laughs> people you know yeah. we're waking up right and for the for the most ridiculous reason I mean, I guess at the time that was a necessity for them. They didn't want their comms to be overburdened or whatever with sightings and stuff. But really, that's the reason. Like, they, I don't think they even necessarily meant to cover up as severely as they did. It was literally so they didn't get overpowered by calls from civilians. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's okay. such a shame. But hey, yeah. it's we're pretty much past that now. The ridicule right. factor is gone away largely. Mm -hmm. There's no more debunkers, really. They look foolish if you try to debunk. Right. Well, and my favorite thing is that science is going to be involved in a big way. It has always been involved. People are not aware, but there have always been scientists working on this. But of course, we don't have all of that information available to us. But yes, of course, they've been working on this. Like someone made a really good point. If a general puts out a memo saying this is real, we should be paying attention to this. Of course, they were paying attention to it. You know, they didn't stop, you know, as evidenced, of course, by the recent OSAP, ATIP, all that. And of course, we know that the CIA was probably continuing to moderate it. And, and frankly, if you look at the FOIAs, they didn't give us all the years. They definitely didn't go very recent with some of them. But at least into the 90s, they were telling us about moon dust. Because yeah. it's it's in the DIA FOIAs in the 90s. <laughs> Air Force is, is still denying Roswell. I say it's a balloon. Really? They still won't talk about the Phoenix Lights. Come on. Right. Yeah, I you know, it's funny. I feel like the nail in the coffin for Roswell was when Donald Trump said, I'm considering um, releasing information and lifting the confidentiality on it or whatever. And I'm like, why would you need to do that for a story everyone knows about? <laughs> why would you need to disclose something that you've been telling us? Why is there anything else to reveal? We've been told it's a balloon. So like that, that didn't make sense. I think that <laughs> it, like, why would you need to tell us anymore, Donald Trump? It just doesn't make sense to me. So <laughs> I think he messed up. He probably shouldn't have said that. But <laughs> he should have been like, yeah. oh, it's just a balloon. <laughs> but no, he said, oh, I might be telling you guys some more. I haven't decided if I'm going to declassify. Why would you need to declassify? <laughs> you know, like that was really interesting to me. But Agreed, anywho, yeah. so <laughs> I just thank you so much for coming. I know I kept you a whole lot longer than I intended. I clearly have a lot to talk to you about. I hope I get to talk to you again. I would like you to tell people where they can find you and a little bit about your books and um, also what you'll be working on next. Yeah, thanks, Deb. I appreciate you having me on the show. Uh, my latest book is Wondrous, 25 True UFO Encounters. Just about to put out another book. I'm excited about that, about a lady named Dolly. He's had fully conscious encounters. I do have a website, PrestonDennett.Weebly.com is the address, but if you just punch in my name, it should take you there. My books are available on Amazon. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter and trying to get on, do be more active on Instagram and uh, putting out my research on YouTube. Uh, yeah, this is an important subject. I'm excited. And I really appreciate you having me on this show because uh, this is something I take very seriously. Right. You have a brilliant mind. I think one of my favorite things about watching your show is just the way you retain information is amazing. Um, and you're great at conveying that information to the public. So I truly appreciate you coming and talking to me. Um, again, I hope we'll get to talk again in the future. Um, and 
I I look forward to seeing what you're going to put out. I'll keep watching you on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Okay. And so listeners, have a good night. Um, this is Deb from Deb da- Deb's Dad at Jojo, part of the Calling All Beings podcast network. Um, if you want to look for me, I'm at Study of UAPs. I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, theufoconnector.com. I'm all over the place. Just reach out and talk. Have a good night. Bye.